I'm Holm Gero Hümmler and you're listening to the European Skeptics Podcast, the real ESP experience. You're listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show in support of European-level actions within the skeptical movement. The ESP is run by individuals representing different skeptical groups from across the continent. This is episode 84. I'm your host, Pontus Berkman, and joining me for the show are... Well, actually, there's nobody joining me today, <laughs> because Andras is off flying again, and I guess Jelena is still chasing squirrels in Italy... But Anders was with me uh, just a few days ago, and we recorded this week's interview with Holm Gero Hümmler, who is yet another exciting speaker for the European Skeptics Congress in Wroclaw, Poland, which starts on the 22nd of September. And we will come back with even more interviews of speakers uh, in the coming weeks. Uh, before we get into the interview, I have a couple of things to mention, though. The first is that, largely due to the never-resting Good Thinking Society... NHS England has opened a public consultation on their recommendation to end prescriptions on homeopathy. To learn more about this, please go to goodthinkingsociety.org. Be sure that we on the ASP strongly recommend all listeners to reply to this consultation uh, just to help combat homeopathy in the UK. And of course, uh, our friend Marsh or Michael Marshall talks all about this on the latest episode of Skeptics with a K. So if you haven't heard that one yet, well, I think you should. The other thing I'd like to mention is that it's still not too late to win a ticket to the European Skeptics Congress in Poland. but And you can do that by joining the Swedish Skeptics, or VOF, and then you go to their form for entering the lottery. Uh, and because there's been some feedback that people may not have had time to become aware of this, Uh, during the vacation periods and such. Uh, the deadline has been extended to 10th of August, so there's still time to do this. Uh, we will link uh, to how to do this, and you should. So I think that's all. So let's get on with this week's interview. On every other episode, we usually interview a person representing an organization or project, either from a certain European country or stretching across borders. In anticipation of the upcoming 17th European Skeptics Congress, we'll interview speakers of this exciting event and try to help our audience familiarize themselves with their work prior to this international convention. This week, we talked to Holm Hümmler, who is a German nuclear physicist with a PhD from Munich Technical University and has also worked at the renowned Max Planck Institute of Physics. In 2001, he left science to work with management consulting and he is now also an active member of the German skeptical group GWP. This year, he published his first book, Relativa Quantenquark, and he also blogs on quantenquark.com. He is one of the speakers on the upcoming European Skeptics Congress in Wroclaw in September. Holm, welcome to the show. Hello. First of all, because I'm pretty sure I really butchered the, the title of your book, would you mind saying it out loud, please? 
Uh, you did it quite, quite right. A relative quantenquark. Oh, but it sounds much better. And what does it mean? It's, it's well, relative and quantum, I think, is, is uh, fairly obvious. Quark is, is, is actually uh, kind of a cottage cheese. It's, it's, in German, it's used to express uh, nonsense. Oh. Uh, it's, it's kind <laughs> of a nice way of saying something is total and utter bullshit. Mm. Mm, nice. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, yeah, we, we, um, in the introduction, I, I said a couple of things about your background, but how did you get in contact with the skeptics and how did you get involved in the skeptics movement or aware of the skeptics movement? Yeah, actually, my my uh, involvement with the skeptics movement started with a European Skeptics Congress sometime in the late 1990s in, in Munich. That and not I didn't go there. I just read about it on uh, in a newspaper, and I thought, oh, there is there is something people calling themselves skeptics who investigate strange things. That's that's interesting. And I had this problem at the time that people would come up to me and ask me, oh, you're a physicist, uh, can you tell me, there is this thing that I've read about, uh, like communication about the speed of light or, or some, some, some other strange claims out of physics, everything is connected to everything. And uh, I was usually standing there like, okay, this is not the kind of physics that I've ever heard about, and I can't quite believe it, but I don't even know the claims in detail. I mean, this was before uh, you could easily get any kind of information through the Internet. So I was actually looking for people to get in an exchange with, and that's, that's the way I got involved with the skeptics movement. Although at the time, my interest was on a, on a kind of a tiny little uh, sidetrack of, of skepticism and uh, only then I realized that there are things like homeopathy, anti-vaxxers, alternative medicine, UFOs. Uh, I mean, this, these were just, before that, these were just curiosities to me. Mm. So you decided to be, become an active skeptic and, 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 you know, really help out and answer these things. Why did you think that that was so important to do? Well, at the time, uh, there wasn't, I mean, there, there was a local group in Munich where I lived at the time, but... Uh, most of the skeptical exchange in, in, within Germany happened on a mailing list, and uh, people would send information requests to the mailing list, and I was obviously one of the physicists on the mailing list. I was one of the people who had uh, studied some meteorology, so I ended up getting questions about about UFO effects in the atmosphere and things like that. So so I, I learned all these topics basically through that mailing list and became started to become active after a couple of years then. Mm -hmm. And and one of the first one of the first topics I I got involved with was actually the the abuse of, of words from science or especially from physics uh, and, and by, by esoterics and putting a different giving a different meaning to the words like tachyons or so basically relatively close to, to some of the things I've written about in the book and uh, I was at a, at a German skeptics conference and I said well that's something that we should discuss some more and that we maybe somebody should write something about and uh, one of the other speakers looked at me and said well why don't you give a talk about that at the next conference and I'm like what me give a talk there are all those professors here and what would I Okay, I'll do it. So. <laughs> okay, but, but but you are a, you have a PhD yourself, so, so why why don't you tell us a little bit about your your work as a scientist and your background as a nuclear physicist? Okay, yeah. Well, 
Actually, the the field I worked in is is not the the classical nuclear physics in the sense that we investigated the the uh, the structure of normal nuclei. What we did was something in the on the borderline between nuclear physics and particle physics. We uh, used high energy accelerators instead of, to accelerate instead of particles to accelerate heavy nuclei and collide them and create excited states of matter, which uh, yeah, which is basically what's being done at the LHC at CERN um, right now in, in, uh, in the Alice experiment mostly, mm. and to uh, investigate a state of matter called the quark-gluon plasma, um, yeah. which uh, yeah, we uh, actually were looking for at, at CERN before and found some, some evidence for so, but but I was always uh, active on the experimental side. Um, so I'm not a theoretical physicist, which made it quite a challenge for me to write this book because I really had to go back to what I learned in college and it actually I had to relearn a lot of uh, theoretical physics and a lot of quantum mechanics mostly, mm-hmm. which was interesting. <laughs> so you, you've always considered yourself more of a um, of an engineer than a physicist, or well, not or an engineer. You wouldn't go but, that far. But, but, very, very much an, an experimental physicist. I've, okay. I've constructed detectors and, and uh, uh, did, did simulations on, on uh, the response of detectors to, to particles flying through them and things like that. So uh, uh, I, while, I, while I did a lot of programming, I didn't really do any very much of the basic physics, like defining the theories of, of what happens in those collisions. I mean, it's, it's a field where even in a single experiment, you can have a couple of hundred physicists working. And uh, just on the experimental side, and on the other hand, you have these groups of, of theoreticians. So it's, it's this field where people are very specialized. and, and you. But one would think that, that you still require a certain amount of... Uh you need to have an idea of what the what the whole experiment is all about. So, of course, so you of do course. need need to have an understanding, a proper understanding of what's going on. Absolutely, sure. Yeah, yeah. But as I always say, I mean, many of the things in, in quantum mechanics that the the general public talks about, like Schrodinger's cat, and could what do quantum states mean for for the world in general? Really, have nothing to do with what physicists generally work on. I mean, for, from most physicists, quantum mechanics is just something out of everyday life that they just regularly work with in all these effects like tunneling and, and entanglement. And I mean, that's just your daily bread and it's perfectly normal and there is nothing philosophical to think about in, in that context. And that's so, so for most physicists, this is just ordinary stuff. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, maybe to you but i think we the, the rest of us can sometimes be pretty puzzled <laughs> yeah and that is that is a good opportunity for all all those people out there who who want to abuse it and uh use this uh for their own gibberish exactly yeah and uh but but it, there is one interesting switch in your career from that and from that field that you it requires a certain amount of understanding a general understanding of, of what's going on um physics and it's it's very well should i say down to earth and very precise uh, because because it's all about measuring stuff and then you moved on to management consulting which is a huge step i would i would think and and uh, why was that and and what does science and skepticism have to do with management consulting or does it uh, quite a lot actually uh, at least with the, the kind of, of 
consulting I do. I mean, I uh, I work in a very quantitative field uh, of of trying to put people's thoughts about the future into numbers and into actual forecasts of sales and into actual simulations of what how you could run your business and for me the, the way you go about it and the way you think and the way you work with numbers is is not all that different from what i did in physics and i think i think most of my clients see me as kind of a kind of a nerd too so <laughs> that's uh, yeah, I've I've kind of kind of found my niche in there, but I, obviously, I mean, there is management consulting is a huge field where under which uh, people do all kinds of things. So yeah, I'm I'm not not the the typical uh, marketing consultant. Probably most most management consultants are very specialized too. Yeah. So, so do you feel the way of, of thinking you brought up from the field of physics should be more widespread in in like politics and management as well? Well, I think. I think it does play a, an important role in, in management. It does play a role in certain fields of politics. Uh, I mean, obviously, uh, obviously, politicians have to have to look at at, at other things, and uh, maybe for many people in politics, just the idea of getting reelected uh, is is uh, all that they focus on, and that's obviously it's more of a of a communication and mass psychology than than the than of actual hard numbers which you can regret or not regret i mean it's, it's just the way the world is so mm. yeah i was i was quite active in politics when i was in college and then kind of dropped out of that when i started working uh, got a little bit into it again and and uh, after a while i got got really frustrated with the idea that that uh, people were more interested in being reelected than in sticking to what what they originally stood for and what what their original values were and and what reality is <laughs> yeah well skepticism is a lot more fun <laughs> oh. so so obviously we've seen lately uh, uh in politics there's a lot of uh, well you know fake news and other bullshit mm. going around we can see that how about in management uh, of a company for instance do you see a lot of uh, pseudoscience or or strange beliefs there as well um i've a couple of years ago at the, at the world skeptics congress i talked about, uh, about risk perception in, in management and problems with risk perception and management and and one thing uh, i i encounter i mean obviously i do i work a lot about future planning and i uh, see a lot about how people go about planning their future and one of the most popular ways of dealing with uncertainty in your future business is to just ignore it um the the second most popular way is to get a get a mathematician to to calculate some kind of of statistics and call that risk management and and uh, average everything out and uh, come up with the result that you can just ignore it and uh the the third way of dealing with with it is to to say okay everything's totally uncertain and uh we cannot say anything about the future and uh we just go on doing things the way we've always done that and that and we just uh, ignore the fact that something's uh, uncertain so yeah these these things happen so one of my uh tasks when i work with my clients is also to make this this implicit knowledge that the future is uncertain explicit in their and their views and their forecasts and say okay uh, if this and this happens what effects will this have 
and at least in the beginning, leave out the question of how probable is this and how probable is that, because you really cannot say much about the probability of many future developments. And uh, you touched on the over-relativization of, of, of everything and uh, trying to argue that there is no such thing as, as knowing stuff. So um, I'd like to touch again on that relativization part. The, the title of your book is... Uh, I'm not going to try to say it again, but it has something to do with relativity and, and re relativization. So uh, that's a well, way it, of it, putting it, it, it right. To do, the title alludes to, to the, the abuse of the, the theory of relativity. Okay, that's what I thought. So uh, that, that would have been my, one of my questions, uh, whether it has something, something to do with the theory of relativity. And what is it about, the book? The book? In oh, it's, 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 it's about... Uh, people who use either quantum mechanics or the theory of relativity to justify nonsense. I mean, the, the most popular uh, person, I've, or the well, most well-known person I've touched in the book, at least internationally, is uh, Deepak Chopra with uh, his, his best-selling book. I mean, he's selling, obviously, a lot more books than I do. Uh, quantum Healing, in which he writes that quantum healing is actually physics and it has to do with quantum physics and it's founded in quantum physics and uh, i mean really it's just a just a, a suggestive technique of, of making people feel that something's happening with them and this has absolutely nothing whatsoever to do with quantum physics but um, for most people that's not entirely transparent to, to put that in perspective i explain a little bit about what the theory of relativity actually is and where it comes from and where the ideas come from and why that was necessary and what it actually says and the same thing with quantum mechanics where did it come from who contributed it who, who are these people that if, if somebody quotes people like heisenberg or feynman and, uh, or niels bohr what were these people and why did they have these ideas mm -hmm. uh And what does it have to do with quantum healing? <laughs> uh, open bracket, nothing, close bracket. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, just to give people the chance to, to put things in their own perspective, uh, I, I try to explain the, the theories uh, in the beginning, and then I go on to, well, what is a scientific theory, and, what's, and, then, and then I go to, like, the newly evolving fields like quantum computing, string theory, uh, quantum biology, Yeah, and then I go to the the more uh, esoterical and and uh, absurd stuff, and and people who are actually abusing physics to to justify the most, yeah, I mean, saying saying quantum physics is what makes homeopathy work and things like that. Mm -hmm. Or we have a, actually a, a university professor in Germany, a physics professor, who claims that uh, after death you are transported to eternity at the speed of light because, and he, he justifies that because he says the descriptions of near-death experiences contain parts that sound like uh, simulations of uh, space travel at close to the speed of light. So it, it, it sounds, what they <laughs> describe the sounds problem. like what, uh, the, like these simulations that I saw, so it has to be the same thing. So that <laughs> Wow. So this is this is the book is targeted to the general audience to people who are curious or who is the, who is the target audience? Well, people who are interested in science, obviously, people who are confronted with quantum nonsense and want to understand of how to argue against that. Uh, 
also people who have questions about is this true or is that true um last fall i was basically i was sitting at home having breakfast and suddenly my phone rang and there was this lady on the phone um and she sounded a little bit older, her voice, and she said, "Well, I've I've looked at your blog, and I, I I'm I'm not feeling so well normally. So a friend of mine has suggested I buy this this quantum therapy gadget, and I, I've looked at your blog, and you write that that's nonsense. Are you really sure that that's nonsense? Because <laughs> I mean, she really says it's good, and but." 1,800 euros is a lot of money for me. And I said, well, 1,800 euros are a lot of money for me too. It's just like, (laughs) and I think I know what kind of device you mean and uh, no, that's not going to do anything useful for you. No. (laughs) And the description about how this works has nothing to do with actual physics and take the 1,800 euros and have a nice vacation. That's going to be a lot better for you. Yeah. Still a bit, you know, it's tough to take away somebody's sort of last hope or, or so for yeah. that. But, if, but, yeah. but I, was, I was very impressed that she actually did all this research herself and that she hmm. came across my blog and then uh, actually took the time to call me on the phone and, and, and ask me in person. And uh, I mean, I hope she didn't, she didn't buy it. So, yeah. <laughs> so it started, started with the blog, right? Uh, when did you start blogging? Uh, actually, I started blogging after I uh, after I started working on the book. So, I ah. my my normal uh, way of communication in the physics field were either articles in the in the German Skeptics magazine, the Skeptica, or talks at the at the conferences. Or uh, I did a public talk in Frankfurt where they asked me if I could recommend somebody who could. Uh, give a talk on quantum nonsense and I said well frankly I don't know anybody I could do the talk but uh, I would need some time to prepare and so I did the talk there and there was a lady from from the publishing company that uh, would later publish my book and she asked me well this was an interesting talk would you like to write a book about this and I said well let me think about this and half a year later she asked me again well have you thought about it and i said well yeah I'll, I'll do it so i started writing the book and while i was writing the book i found that there were all kinds of stories i came across that were current too short-lived or too controversial or or where i i had to be a little more serious in the book and i couldn't couldn't be quite as sarcastic in the book as i would like to be on some point so i started to put that in the blog so the blog is actually a side effect of the book really uh-huh, okay so, so is the book? Is it only available in German? You haven't. Unfortunately, unfortunately, yes. I mean, we've talked about should we do an, an English version? It's actually you couldn't really translate it because most of the most of the examples in the book are from German or from German-speaking books or websites or so. So, it would really be a new book in English, which I would find interesting to do, but uh, haven't really done so far. Oh, too bad. I was getting all up to, to reading yeah. it now. <laughs> yeah. What about the blog? Uh, the blog is in German too. Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, do you do you have plans to extend it to English as well? Well, if, if I have time, I'll, I'll, I'll do that. I have, a, I have a different book project currently that I'm, that I'm working on that I should probably, which is again going to be a book in German, but uh, I'm, I'm probably more present in the german skeptical scene than uh, than i am in the european skeptical scene so uh, that can still change yeah for now <laughs> <laughs> yeah i would i mean obviously i i i uh i, I like to speak uh, right in, in english so yeah 
And you will, uh, because uh, at the European next European Skeptics Congress, uh, which we are here to kind of prepare for, yeah. uh, you will give a talk with the title Relative Quantum Nonsense. Yes. So is it going to be uh, mostly covering topics and stuff that, that is in the book, or uh, what is it that we can expect from your talk? Yeah, it's it's mostly going to be things from the book and kind of a quick idea on how to identify quantum nonsense and how to tell quantum nonsense from, from actually interesting uh, current physics. And uh, yeah, I'll try to put that in, in half an hour and see uh, how it goes. Uh, originally, I, I was I was actually originally had a slightly different topic in mind. They wrote they were looking for talks on on science, pseudoscience, and the media. And one of the things I've been looking into after I wrote the book uh, was well, science communication from actual science contributes to to these strange nonsense beliefs because. People who uh, work with uh, entanglement of, of laser beams end up uh, being published by their own universities in, 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 in articles about uh, yeah, beaming or, or, or being connected to all kinds of strange things that they don't, don't really have anything to do with. No, but the, the, sci the communication of science is extremely important and, and a very interesting topic. So, Yeah, I mean, the, the, yeah, the communication of science is extremely important, but it, it's something that you have to be a little bit, uh, you have to be a little bit careful with, too, because you can be misunderstood. And I, I, uh, I remember a while ago, I, I came across this headline in, in a German uh, online Uh, news portal uh, physicists clone Schrodinger's cat and I was like oh my god what did these uh, journalists do this is obviously <laughs> so uh, I tried to look at the original press release from the university on, on this experiment and the, the article was from Yale University uh, press office had the title doubling down on Schrodinger's cat And then I found the original article, scientific article in Science Magazine that had the title A Schrodinger Cat Living in Two Boxes. And then I looked at the actual experiment and I found that what they called a Schrodinger cat was simply an electromagnetic uh, signal of about 100 photons. So, I mean, a tiny, tiny, tiny electromagnetic signal that they had in, in two resonators and uh, it was uh, the, these it was coupled between these two resonators and that was what actually the article was about and they made this thing about it with a Schrodinger cat living in two boxes so people get the oddest ideas when they read this about what physicists actually do yeah it had nothing to do about cloning cats it had nothing whatsoever <laughs> to do with Any macroscopic objects, uh, let alone with, with cats, or the same thing is like <laughs> quantum teleportation. That is always, when people write an article about quantum teleportation, you always get, get Star Trek images with that. And unfortunately, quantum teleportation has nothing to do with what teleportation in science fiction is. That, that's that's what I was actually planning to talk about at the European Skeptics Congress, and then they, they, they but they put me in a session with uh, James Randi and, and Deborah Hyde, and I was like, wait, wait a minute, uh, this is yeah. uh, uh, they, they're all talking about paranormal investigation, so I don't want to talk about science communication, so that's why I, I'll, I'll 
go to a little more of the general side and and say okay we'll uh, uh, I'll talk about how to how to recognize bad physics or how to recognize false physics and how to tell it from from actual physics but I I'm very much looking forward to being being in the same session with James Randi that's just that's so <laughs> so exciting <laughs> To, to what extent do you blame science fiction for this the, the science communication uh, kind of thing going off track getting going in the wrong direction mm, well i don't think you can blame science fiction you can you can to a certain extent you can blame the people who took the word teleportation from science fiction and applied it to an actual physics effect that means something entirely different I mean that's that obviously was not a good idea but science fiction is fiction and fiction is art and art should have all kinds of freedoms to come up with strange ideas and actually science fiction does it does it a lot to get people interested in science and I mean there are so many skeptics who are science fiction fans and so so no I I, I don't blame yeah. science fiction I do to, to a certain extent I do blame certain kinds of of fiction authors like like uh, Dan Brown or so for at least putting putting claims in that that their fiction has something to do with reality like when when Dan Brown writes about CERN or so that's I mean oh, that's yeah. something that I really cannot read I mean I've worked at CERN it's, <laughs> uh, it's, it's terrible <laughs> so, I, I really I don't I don't read his books I just I, okay. I just read the one on CERN and I gave up after like <laughs> the first description of CERN and the, the ultra modern architecture. I mean, if you've been there and if if you've seen these these nineteen uh, sixties office buildings that they have there and and ultra uh, right, <laughs> yeah. And if you if you read about the, the CERN operating its own super high tech aircraft and you, you've been there and you know that the most important uh, means of transportation at CERN are these are these little little uh, compact cars that they have <laughs> so yeah all right i mean cern is exciting and cern is, is incredibly interesting and it's a world of i mean you have you have 2800 uh, physicists working there permanently and it's just amazing but yeah uh you, you <laughs> it's it's amazing in a very different way from what's portrayed so this has been fascinating uh where can people go to find out more and to follow your work online? Uh, well, I mean, if they speak German, obviously, quantenquark.com. Uh, unfortunately, if I, I haven't really, I'm not really writing a whole lot in, in English at this point. Um, I, uh, when, when I find the time, I'm hoping mm-hmm. to. Yeah, and if not, I mean, you could always seek you up in person in, on the European Skeptics Congress. Oh, ab- absolutely, yeah. Oh. Or, or I mean, I, I do uh, I do answer emails, obviously too. And, right. uh, I'm I'm fairly easy to find online. Okay, so, so, so. very good. Now I'm looking forward to go there and to corner you at the bar and discuss science communication, even if that was not the topic of your of your speech. Yeah, I mean, it's it it is obviously an, an interesting uh, thing too because you can do so much good and so much bad with with science communication. It's really really difficult to do it right. And it's yes. very easy to do it very wrong. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it it can be boring too, which is the other other extreme. But you like like uh, exaggerating and putting uh, creating strange impressions is, is also not good. So yeah, it's it's an interesting topic. Wonderful. 
Well, this has been all we we had time for this week. But but uh, we really appreciate you coming coming on the show, and especially that that that's a bit of an um, an inside story. But it was quite a short notice, and uh, really looking forward to meeting you at the European Skeptics Congress in Rostov. Absolutely, yeah. All right, yeah, I'm looking forward to that too, and uh, meeting everybody else is going to be there. It's yeah, really going to be an interesting event. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can't wait to be there. So, Holm Garohumla, thank you very much again. Thank you for having me. See you soon. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So, folks, that's all for now. And we hope to be back with the full crew uh, next week. Thanks for listening and goodbye. This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments, or death threats to info at the ESP.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know, as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Schraub and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at www.theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast.eu and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe. And again, we're looking forward to meeting you. Yeah, uh, yeah, you have, you'll have to tell me some more about uh, how you started doing this and uh, everything. Yes, about we it. will, absolutely. Yeah, just yeah. get us over a pint and we will never stop talking. <laughs> <so>. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>